0: You never order these things. I always put mine in order, and he never does.
1: Hey, rockers. Welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast. Sitting to my right is our producer extraordinaire. This is Seth Inkley. And to my
0: left is the man, the one, the only, the Dean of Rock You,
1: Matt Black. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about our favorite movies about rock and roll, or I guess a bit more about music generally. But uh, we're going to start off, as we always do, with what are you wearing today, Seth?
0: Uh, Well, since we're going to be talking about movies, I'm wearing my Star Wars t-shirt. Now, I know you're probably thinking Star Wars didn't have rock and roll in it, but there's a slight little connection that I've got that you'll see later on.
1: I'm looking forward to finding out what it is, and I'm wearing my Beatles Hard Days Night t-shirt. I bet you can guess why.
0: All right, so we're going to talk about our top five favorite music movies—they're—they're going to be rock and roll movies, but they don't necessarily have to be all about rock and roll. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me? To
1: I don't go mind first? starting. That's
0: okay, fine. Let's what's your number five?
1: Well, it's time. And I, again, I didn't put them in an order, so I just—you never order these I things. Yeah, I always put mine I in see, order, and he never does. So, is the one that we talked about already? Is that your number one? Should I say no, I? Oh, okay. it is not. Oh,
0: interesting. Oh, wait, right. no, the one that we talked about already offline. Is yeah, that my yeah, number yeah, one? Yeah. Oh, you'll see.
1: Oh, well, I, all right, but I was going to pair my... It doesn't matter. Listen. <laughs> so when Seth and I talked about this episode, we actually had the same two movies as our one and two. So we had to, we had to Rochambeau for who was going to get to do which one. Actually, I think we just divided them evenly. I think we just, yeah, yeah. we just, we, we agreed. So you got my, one of my number ones. So I'll take the other one. And that is the Blues Brothers. And the Blues Brothers is... In my opinion, the best movie ever made about music for a lot of reasons. First of all, you got a really funny movie, really great story with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as the Blues Brothers. But the best part is you have performances by Ray Charles, Cab Calloway, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker. uh, Did I say Cab Calloway already? Yeah, you said Cab Calloway already. And a lot of them aren't just... Performing, they're actually uh, in speaking roles in the movie. They actually play characters who do drive the plot along. The thing I like about the Blues Brothers, especially besides the fact that it's a great movie, is that it expresses the ineffable feeling of being part of a band. And my favorite scene is when the uh, the Blues Brothers are late to their show in the big finale, and Cab Calloway is trying to stall. So he. Does a he does a version of Minnie the Moocher? Such a
0: great, <laughs> such a great song. And when they switch the deal, that's, and he's and he's in front of the big band, and he's wearing the tux. That's uh, what I. That's surplus. what I was going to
1: say. So, uh, they they go from being dressed in their kind of shabby suits. To wearing these beautiful white tie and tails, and uh, right at the end switch back, and clearly it's in his imagination. It's how they feel playing that music in front of those people. It, it elevates their just their very existence, and it's a great movie for so many reasons. But you got to just go see Ray Charles play. You got to go watch it for Aretha Franklin. Oh man, and the music,
0: man, Aretha Franklin doing Think, yeah, with Matt Guitar Murphy, and yeah. just talking to him and punching him. <laughs> Punch them in the chest with their finger. Yeah, that's and, such a great deal. And
1: I should mention that the band in the Blues Brothers, they are all legit musicians. You got, first of all, legendary musicians like Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn, who were from Booker T and the MGs. Yeah. You've got the horn section from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Uh, you've got Matt Guitar Murphy. You've got the backing band. They're not very good actors, I'll admit that right now. But they're, <laughs> they're playing themselves and it works perfectly.
0: That movie's not about acting. That's right. Except there's three people in that movie that have to act. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and here's a Star Wars tie-in: Uh-oh. Carrie Fisher. Yes, Carrie Fisher, who plays yeah. the jilted, yeah. jilted lover. And the one of the funniest things in that whole film is when they <laughs> is when they look at the at the hair salon where she works at after she's tried to kill him once or twice. And it's called what?
1: Curl Up and Die.
0: Curl Up and Die. <laughs> D-Y-E, not D-I-E. Yeah, yeah right. such a great... But there is actually some good acting. Aretha Franklin's great. Aretha, that woman could do no wrong. Exactly.
1: <laughs> such a great deal. So what's yours?
0: Are we going to go from one to five?
1: I, any uh, order you like, since mine aren't... All over. right, I'm,
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do mine in order from five to one. My number five is... Pink Floyd's The Wall. It's like the movie length music video of the entire album of the Wall. The back and forth between the animation and the live action. Seeing that whole album played out, you know, after listening to it. And even the even the interlude parts on the album, they added them in and they acted them out. I mean, it was it's a weird story because Roger Waters was a weird guy and had an odd way of growing up. Yeah, and did a few things. Possible hallucinogenic Subst- influences. Some substances evolved, that were yeah. definitely illegal. But uh, the guy, the, one of the cool things about this movie is Bob Geldof, Bob Geldof. who yeah. plays the character Paint. He's the guy that actually started Band Aid and then put on Live Aid in 85, which kids, sorry, but us old folks that were alive during that, man, that was a satellite concert from London and Philly, right? It wasn't New York. I think it was Philly.
1: Yeah, yeah there, were, there was more than one like that. And I forget which is which, but I think you could be yeah. right. Uh,
0: we sat there glued in front of our TVs watching the show in London and then the show in Philly or America, wherever it was in America, for, I don't know, however long the thing went on. I mean, it was crazy. and It was pl- awesome. who played in both stages? Flew from
1: London to- Oh, I forget. Uh, who was that? Phil Collins. He played was on, it Phil? on- In both yeah. shows, yeah. 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 So, Great moments. We should do a podcast about that someday. We should. There's some cool stuff that happened. Yeah.
0: Well, we, we should we should go Queen through and do it. Oh. oh yeah. Police Queen's YouTube performance will significance there.
1: Yeah. We'll get to that someday. Good yeah. stuff. Go with your Shall I do my next one?
0: Your second one or what? Like, your, whatever, your next no one. order.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with a Hard Days Night. Uh, The Beatles had a contract, believe it or not, to make not just records, but movies too. And A Hard Day's Night was the first one they made. And the reason I suggest you watch it is because you will get swept away. If you're not a Beatles fan, you will become a Beatles fan. If you are a Beatles fan, you will find yourself basking in the glow of what it's like to be a Beatle. They are so natural on screen. They have so much charisma. They're so much fun to watch. You can really understand what Beatlemania was all about. And it's just a really fun movie. And there is no substitute for that music. I got nothing more to say.
0: Acting wise, I don't think the guys were.
1: <laughs> I don't think they. Cared <laughs> but you don't have they to. They were be. being themselves. They were totally being themselves. <laughs> they were. Yeah.
0: That was awesome. My number four is one that I know was on your list because we talked about this, but mm-hmm. high fidelity. Yeah. Didn't, which came I was out. I'm happy you did it because in 2000, 2001. I forget when it came sure. out. It's been out yeah. for a while. The premise of the movie is there's a guy who owns a record store who's not sure if he's breaking up with his girlfriend or not. And he's trying to figure out how to save this relationship. And he he does what we do here on, on Extra Credit The top Rocky five. podcast. He does top five lists. The premise of the film is he does the top five ex girlfriends top five breakups and why those relationships went wrong. But throughout the whole deal, he's doing top five lists. He's rearranging his, his records, some of the stuff that they go through, uh, with the guys that work at the, at the record store. So the Rob, the lead character is played by John Cusack and Jack Black plays one of the guys that works at the record store
1: breakout role. Yeah.
0: And, They ask Rob, what are your top five side one track ones? Or I think he's the one that comes up with the genre. And he goes, "Uh, Janie Jones by The Clash. And they're like, okay. He's like, "Uh, White Light, White Heat by Velvet Underground. Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Let's Get It On, Marvin Gaye. And then he says... uh, Massive Attacks, Radiation, Ruling the Nation. And then Jack Black berates him for, oh, those are four really safe picks and then one that's really recent. So wow, you're really going out on an edge there, man. I think the best top five list that doesn't even get all the way to five is the one that he says about songs that he wants at his his funeral, funeral. Yeah, Many Rivers to Cross by Jimmy Cliff. Angel by Aretha Franklin, and then the best one, he says, and I've always had this fantasy that some beautiful, tearful woman will insist (laughs) on hearing you're the best thing that ever happened to me by Gladys Knight, but who would that woman be?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a great great movie. It relates very well to what we do here, too. Oh, yeah. Definitely. My favorite part of that movie is the, well, I don't want to give it away, but the performance at the end by Jack Black. I won't say anything more about that. Oh,
0: yeah. 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 Jack...
1: (laughs) You you just go on stage and you do hear him sing. I'll leave it there. It's pretty good. It's
0: if you haven't seen it, go see, go rent High Fidelity, pull it up on Netflix or where uh, Amazon Prime I think
1: is where that one is. It's also I was going to say John Cusack's favorite, uh, the character's favorite song is "Let's Get It On" by Marvin Gaye. That is one of my favorite songs too. Probably my favorite to play of of anything. And uh, interestingly enough, the original, the book took place in London and it moved to Chicago for the movie and it's much better in Chicago. (laughs) Well, should I go next? Yeah. Okay. Well, since we're talking about Jack Black, I'll say for obvious reasons, School of Rock. I mean, how could we not talk about School of Rock today? (laughs) It's Um, impossible. Yeah. (laughs) Is there anyone out there who hasn't seen School of Rock? If if you you,
0: haven't, put the podcast down,
1: go go pull it it up and watch it. Now. Right. No, now. Yeah. <laughs> right now. I'll just say personally, uh, you know, as a uh, person who uh, hmm, uh, runs a rock school, uh, I often ask myself, sometimes ironically, sometimes less ironically, what would Dewey do? I mean, referring to the character that Jack Black plays, Dewey Finn, who teaches the fifth graders, I think, or fourth grade, I can't remember if they're fifth or fourth. I think fifth graders. Fifth grade, yeah. To rock. That's all I'm going to say because everyone's seen it, but like Seth says. Go right now if you haven't seen School of Rock. And you, if you it.
0: haven't seen it in a year, just go watch it. All right, so my third one is Almost Famous. It's the uh, the movie by Cameron Crowe that's semi-autobiographical about him being a, a teenager, a young teenager, because I think he was like 13. He
1: was really young. I don't even know if he was that young. He was 13, 13, really 13, 14,
0: yeah. 15, somewhere in there. And he wrote a letter to Rolling Stone and sent them in a bunch of stuff and didn't say how old he was. And they called him up and hired him and said, you need to go on the road with this band. And it's a fictional band in the movie, but you get to see uh, all the ups and downs and see if he actually gets the interview that he wants to get with the, lead guitarist of, I forget the name of the band. I can't remember either. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really good film. And there's one scene in there where the band is, they're about to break up. There's a bunch of tensions between all the band members. And then they end up singing a uh, tiny dancer <laughs> together by Elton John when it comes on the radio. And one by one, they all start singing. Like there's a couple of groupies that are on the bus. There's the the kid reporter from Rolling Stone and the rest of the band and they all, by the time they get to the chorus, I think they're all singing Tiny Dancer together.
1: I can't remember. Is Billy up in that movie? Who plays, the, who plays the lead guitar player in the band? You know, is, I don't I know. I have a picture of, it could be him. It
0: could be him. Well. I don't, I don't know.
1: I'm just asking because my next movie stars him, so maybe... Oh, can...
0: well, that's a good segue. All right. So why don't well, you roll I, it? Even, even if me. he's not in it, it's yeah, still a good I'll segue. still do
1: it anyway. I'm actually not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but um, the next movie I'm going to recommend is one that I don't think a lot of people have seen. It's called Rudderless, and it's a, the only movie on my list that's kind of serious. Um, it's I don't want to give anything away, but Billy Crudup plays a guy whose life basically falls apart, mm-hmm. and he is redeemed through... The power of music, and he—I uh, can say this part. The, the movie opens with uh, the death of his son, his uh, college-age uh-huh. son, and he finds a few years later he finds demo tapes that his son had written of uh, songs his son had written, and he starts playing them. And he hadn't played in a long time himself, and then he starts performing them. And there's a few reasons. First of all, it's just it, even though it's got a sad story, it's a funny movie. It's a happy movie. Uh, also, the music is amazing. It's really good. I don't actually don't know who yeah. wrote it. I should have looked that up. I think I think I meant to and forgot to. But anyway, you can go look it up. You have Google. Um, <laughs> also, there's a great performance by Anton Yelchin, who is a, a a really great was a really great actor and musician. Who unfortunately. Uh, died at 27 and joined the 27 club with Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin and Amy Winehouse and
0: And way too many other people,
1: way too many others. And anyway, the movie is wonderful. Even though it's got some sad parts in it, it will make you feel great and it will show you what music can do for you in your own life. That's awesome. Hopefully you won't have to go through anything quite as hard as he did, but yeah,
0: on a much lighter note, (laughs) I'm going to go to my number two movie and it's Ferris Bueller's day off. John Hughes, who was a new wave junkie, who probably he wanted to be a musician in a new wave band and ended up making movies. And he was like, no, this isn't really what I want to do and made some just absolutely amazing films. Uh, Like any good 80s film, you can bet pretty much that it was made by John Hughes. Some of the songs that he picked out for this film just became iconic songs because they were in the movie. Stuff like Love Missile F-111 by, I don't know how to say it, Sieg, Sieg Sputnik, I think is the name of the group. Uh, Oh Yeah by Yellow. The Dream Academy's version of Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want by the Smiths. Again, the Dream Academy with The Edge of Forever, which uh, I had a college girlfriend put on a mixtape. Another Dream Academy song. No, no, not a Dream Academy song. Sorry. It's a song by the English Beat. Well, in America they're the English beat. In England, they're just the beat. I didn't actually um, know that. Huh. March of the Swivel Heads. It's their other song, Mirror in the Bathroom. Yeah. Backwards. Interesting. And the wow. reason that they the reason that they got that was uh there was a DJ in London that would take your record, whatever song that you gave him, and he would make a mix of it somehow or another, he'd run it backwards and give wow. you a tape of it. And they got the tape of Mirror in the Bathroom backwards just because they thought it would be fun to have. And they started listening to it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can make a song out of this. And they ended up making that song. And it ended up being, A, on their album, and, B, being used in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nice. Now, here's the Star Wars thing. Because this, mu- this movie uses that. a lot of music from other places. Uh, the I Dream of Jeannie theme when he's walking out of the shower The Star Wars theme gets played when the two guys, the two valet guys take the Ferrari Ah, out and they launch it. It's that (laughs) slow-mo picture. Yeah, such a great theme. You know, they use Baccarini String Quartet in E Major when they're trying to get into the restaurant. And then... Yeah, you know, the the classic thing that we've already talked about on this right. podcast, Don Cas by Wayne Newton and Twist and Shout by the Beatles what, when Ferris takes over the the parade and says, this is dedicated to a young man who thinks he hasn't seen anything good today. <laughs> Just great music, and it's it's woven into the storyline, the way John Hughes does that. You know, I'm glad he didn't make it into a new wave band, because he made some really cool films and did a really good job with the music,
1: too. He, Yeah, he introduced the generation to those those bands and those songs, which is something I'm very grateful for. It hasn't carried on so much. Them people I don't think the uh I don't think you kids watch those movies. But you should. There's some of them at least are held up really well. Yeah. yeah. Well
0: Ferris Ferris Bueller Ferris good, Bueller
1: holds up really for well. For sure. Yeah. My, what's your my what's last, your last one? one? All right. My last one is a movie that I think probably most people know, but maybe not as popular as some of these other ones. It's called uh That Thing You Do. And it's a yeah. movie about a small town um Small-town band that has a big hit, and they're called The Wonders. Or the
0: the O'Neaters. The
1: yes, exactly, so they can't <laughs> spell their band name. Um, and it ends up being the one-hit Wonders, although I guess that's a spoiler. Probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, what's cool about the movie, besides being a really fun movie and having some great performances by Tom Hanks, Charlize Theron in a small role, Liv Tyler, Steve Zahn, who's a great actor. You, probably most people don't know his name. What's cool about the movie is the song. It's played more than a dozen times in the movie. You hear them practicing it, you see them performing it, and it's a great song. And by coincidence, it was actually written by Fountains of Wayne bassist uh, Adam Schlesinger, who unfortunately died of COVID early in April 2020, oh, no. I believe. Yeah, one of the first casualties of uh, of COVID. Um, it's a wonderful movie. It's a wonderful song. Nothing on this list. You can't go wrong with anything on this list. I don't, do you have one more? I forget. I if got I went one first. more. Oh, sorry. So I forget. I, I jumped the gun there. Go for it.
0: So number one on my list. This is Spinal Tap.
1: Of course. How could you forget? This is <laughs> Spinal Tap. We, that's the one we had to divide light mean, up. Right.
0: This this is. This is just uh one of the funniest films ever. Rob Reiner as the director and one of the stars in the movie. I don't know if it's the first, well it's the first mockumentary that I ever saw. It, it is. That yeah. it was just it's phenomenal. The the one line that everybody quotes is this one goes to 11. He's he's uh the guitar player has these Marshall amps. <laughs> and I don't know I that they must have talked to Marshall to get the oh, props shoot. because yeah. They're Marshall Plexis, and each of the knobs goes to 11. And, he's, and he says something like, You know, when you're at 10 and you need a little more, it's like this one goes to 11.
1: Can I do Rob Reiner? Then yeah. Why don't you just make 10 louder?
0: Oh, but this one goes to 11.
1: <laughs> <laughs> such Such a great
0: deal. You know, actually, the Marshall amp that's in that movie. Is at Marshall headquarters, and it's in no it's in their museum. Oh, so if you actually that. wanted to Where's, go to go to Marshall, England, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I don't here. know. I don't know if their if their headquarters is still in London. I'll have to uh, want to see It that. might be, yeah. But yeah. you can go in, and there's tons of. They have all these cool Marshall you know the the real deal Marshall amps like some of the that they've gotten back from some of the people they've sold them to but they actually have the one that was in spinal tap so there's so many great scenes in this film stonehenge when they bring down the itty bitty little thing that they were they were hoping for this <laughs> giant life-size stonehenge deal and the person that made it thought they drew it to scale on this piece of paper just uh, it's amazing they didn't even see it that it happens during the performance <laughs> Oh, so I like, they have I no like the idea. pod scene personally. The but, pod, the yeah. pod scene's amazing. Um, Jazz when they, Odyssey. when they start talking about the drummer, uh, the, their drummers and how they died, <laughs> and like half of them are named Stumpy, and it's like the the first one died in a bizarre gardening accident. And they're like, yeah, those those files are
1: still sealed. Played by the drummer, yeah. Oh, Ed, Ed Begley Jr.
0: It was oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ed Begley Jr. Uh, th- and then the the second one was Stumpy Joe, and he you know they go through the whole thing. They were trying to give you the the John Bonham thing about well he choked on vomit, and then one of them says oh, I think it was somebody else's vomit. <laughs> oh, they're not sure about that. And then the third one, Peter James Bond exploded on stage in a green bit of fire. <laughs> They start talking about how how many people spontaneously combust per year. Many more than you realize, (laughs) according to them. And then then one of my favorites is the Nigel Tunful guitar solo, where he gets out a violin. (laughs) They're doing a thing on Jimmy Page, taking the violin bow and playing his guitar. He gets the violin and plays the guitar, and he looks at it. And he's, it's not making the sound he wants. So he tunes the violin and then starts going back at it. Just just so much fun. It's, it's a very, very, very humorous film. The guys that are in it, oh my gosh. Michael McKean. Michael McKean. Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. Christopher and, Guest. And Christopher Guest. Yeah. Those three guys have made some of the funniest mockumentary movies of all time. They but also...
1: Go ahead. Spinal
0: Tap was yeah. where it all started. Yeah. And I think Spinal Tap is still the best.
1: I, I agree. And they also play their own instruments. They're all musicians. They, they play, play and they
0: sing. And then there's a concert of them doing- They tour. All of their Spinal Tap stuff.
1: They tour. They've been touring for years.
0: Yeah. Acoustically- and, yeah. And it's amazing. It's, some, it's, all the movie, it's all the songs they did in the movie, plus some more that they had written well, that didn't make it They put out a in. lot of stuff,
1: actually, yeah. as Spinal Tap. You know what's cool, too? They were also the three musicians in the fictional folk band in, the other, in another movie they made called The Mighty Wind. Yeah, called yeah, yeah. The, I think The Folkman. The, folk, the, the Folksman. And there have been times when Spinal Tap has toured, but The Folksman opened for them. Yes. So they play the folksman, They come out. They play their opening set. Then they go back, change, and become Spinal Tap, and come back out and play their set. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Such yeah, those the their all their stuff. All their stuff is funny. I mean the the Brilliant. Best in Show about the dog show. That's a hilarious film too. Um, But Spinal Tap, Spinal Tap's the original, and I think Spinal Tap is just absolutely the funniest. Agreed. Sunday, 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 February 6th. There's been a change of venue. We're going to La Boule Noir. From 4 to 8 p.m., the adult bands from Rocky are going to rock your face off. Admission is free, so you have no excuse. Okay, so we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about how to pick or construct a set list. I've got a little bit of experience of doing a set list as a DJ. I know it's a lot different when you do it as a band, but uh, there's a couple of rules that you have when you're a DJ and you're doing a set list. Number one is know your audience. You know, if you've got a a wedding group or something like that, you need to have a a wide range of stuff that you're going to play. You also need to know are you playing it during the dinner or do you do it during the dance? And then the second rule, and this I think is the golden rule of DJing, is don't lose the dance floor. Know the songs that keep people dancing. So if you know who your demographic is and you know the songs that most people like, then you can keep people dancing and grooving on the dance floor. But we're actually here to talk about how a band should set a set list. And I'm going to let the expert, Mr. Doodad himself, tell us a little bit about how to make a set list for
1: a band. Uh, it's nice being called an expert. I know there's like right now there's going to be about 10 people shaking their fists at the uh, speaker saying, "You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about." But let's see. I'll give you my I'll give you my perspective anyway. <laughs> Uh, so something I say a lot to our rock you bands is, um, I sometimes with the older bands, with the advanced bands, I'll say, so raise your hand if you think of yourself as a musician and all the hands go up and then I'll say, okay, raise your hand if you think of yourself as a performer and people start to look a little confused and maybe some of the hands go up and then I say, all right, raise your hand if you think of yourself as an entertainer. You are entertaining when you're on stage. You have to fall, you have to fulfill all those roles. You can be the greatest musician in the world, but if you don't know how to perform, uh, it's not going to be great performance. Or if you're just playing at home, if you are a performer, but you don't really know what people are going to enjoy. You don't, you're not really going to get a, deliver a satisfying show. So no. you got to think about all those aspects. And what I'm going to talk about today is, really applies to cover bands. Their rules are completely different for bands playing their original material. But we'll talk about cover bands. And the first thing that you should ask yourself is what are you going to play anyway? What are the songs that, are, that should be in your set? You can't really make a set list until you pick the songs. And I would say there are four things you should think about. First, do you like playing the song? Yeah, and not just do you like the song? Do you like playing the song? Sometimes you might really like the song, but then you play it, and it's like, "Wow, this is completely boring," or "This is impossible. <laughs> or this is way
0: too hard." Well, I'm going yeah, to that. I'm gonna get to that. I'm going to get to that. That's a minute. that's the problem I run yeah, into. Yeah,
1: I'm going to get. I'm going to get to that one in a minute. But the uh, sometimes it might be worth sucking one up. Like uh, my band, yeah. I'll say, plays "Twist and Shout," which is a song I love to perform, but the playing is very simple. And it's not a satisfying experience to play the guitar parts for that song, but it's a really satisfying experience to watch people react to it. It's a crowd-pleaser. Yes, exactly. So do you like playing the song? And the second thing is, is your audience going to like the song? And you should know your audience, as Seth said. Uh, There's something else about that. Sometimes... The question isn't so much is your audience going to like the song; it's are they going to know the song? Because there is a natural yeah. instinct to like things, or at least be uh, engaged by things that we're familiar with. And if you haven't, if you have an unfamiliar song that you think the audience is going to like, you can get away with that, but. Put two in a row or three in a row of those. Even if the songs are the greatest songs in the world, your audience is headed to the bar.
0: I've seen I've seen numerous concerts where they're like, we're going to play a couple songs from our new album, and that's when people get up and go to the bathroom, right. and there's not standing and cheering, and then they go back to the stuff that everybody knows. It's just, it's familiarity.
1: Yeah, familiarity, it's comfort. It's a big thing. Any good set is going to have a combination of the expected and the unexpected. So... You can have something that's unexpected, but you got to watch your ratio there. Um, you have an added dimension when you're being paid. If you're, if you're playing for a venue that's paying you and expecting to make some money off your performance, you have to keep people there. If they leave, that's, that's, that's not good. Your,
0: that's knowing your audience. <laughs> yeah. If your audience is also includes the guy that hired you.
1: Right. The third thing you should ask yourself is, can we play the song well? And sometimes you might love the song, and you think the audience might love the song, but you just don't have the horses to do it. It's not right for your instrumentation. Uh, You don't have the right vocal mix. You don't have the skill sets. I'm saying, you know, know, reggae might be really easy for one person, but really hard for another, for example. Uh, So you want to play things that you can play well. And the last thing is, does the song make your set better? Does it have a place in your set? Uh, Is it going to be something that is not that similar to the other things or that serves a role and when you can use all these things to choose your songs but once you've done that you have to then put your set in an order
0: when you say serve a role yeah what talk a little bit more about that
1: well you think you should, you can think of your set as a story you can think of your set the best way i like to look at it is like a, a movie script because your set might be if you're in a cover band might be about as long as a short movie you know and you want to have a beginning a middle, and an end. You want to have some ups and downs, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. You want to keep a flow from beginning to end. So the first thing I suggest is you pick your best songs, figure out what they are, and you're going to want to put one of them at the beginning, one of them at the end, and one of them in the middle. Or if you have a lot of best songs, you're going to scatter them throughout, just to keep keep the energy up, keep people, people engaged. I think the best first song is the one you play the best, because if you pick a tricky song for your first song and it doesn't go well... You don't feel so good about it. That can hurt your confidence and it can hurt the rest of your performance. If you play a song first that you can play on autopilot and you know you play well and everybody loves it, you feel good and you tend to relax and then you play better. So that's the first thing. You, so you choose your opener, you choose your closer, and you scatter the other songs out in a strategic way so that you're always playing something good coming up in two or three songs. If, that way, if you take a risk, you can recover from the risk if it doesn't go the way you want. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is to think about the keys. Most people aren't conscious of this, but songs that are in the same key, too many songs in the same key, starts to feel boring. You won't, people won't know why. That's a good point. Yeah, people won't know why, but they'll start to feel like, eh, this kind of sounds like the last one and the last one and the last one. On the other hand, if you do have songs in the same key, there's an opportunity for an interesting transition, where you take for example the last chord of one song and use it as the opening chord for the next song, or you find another way to transition from song to song, which by the way makes your set look very professional when you don't have to stop between each song and look around and look at your set list and retune your guitar and do all that other stuff. Um, In fact, what we do is we even, we play mini sets, so four songs at a time. So we'll go without any interruptions for four song we'll try we rarely rarely you deliver guys, on that you guys do that <laughs> but think about your keys think about transitions between songs and the last thing uh, uh, similar to what seth said but maybe go in a slightly different different direction is that idea yeah you want to keep the dance floor going but a set also has an emotional course to run mm-hmm. and you can't keep people up all the time it's like a movie if the whole thing is car chases you're going to be exhausted and bored <laughs> you need to uh, movies have a a convention called sex at 60 the loves the love scene in the movie usually takes place about an hour in and you can by the way once you notice this you can pretty much set your clock to it it's almost always between 55 and 65 minutes in a movie there's a, a love scene with low lighting quiet music because the audience needs to breathe the audience can't yeah. keep up that emotion the whole time um so you want to think about okay we're going to play four songs where we build the energy and then two songs where we bring it down a little bit, and sometimes it can be a fun challenge to get it back up. Then because you do want to keep, you don't want to bring it down so low that people get bored and leave, but you do want to bring it down so that, enough so that they get a chance to rest and recoup, recuperate and bring the energy back up. Uh, there's an old rule which is four to one four up-tempo songs to one down-tempo. Personally, having performed many, many concerts, I think that's not enough up-tempo songs. I think six to one, seven to one is a better ratio. Or seven to two, eight to two, something like that. Bring it down for two songs. Um, You do have to keep people engaged all the time. You do have to remember you're there to entertain people. What makes the performance satisfying is the reaction you get from the crowd. And if it's all about how it feels to play by yourself, you're probably, I mean, you want to you enjoy it, but you probably aren't going to get the same reaction. You have to think about them, too. One of my favorite bands, Wolfpack, does a little piece of stage patter about this. The, the, the leader of the band, Jack Stratton, gets up on the mic and he says, what we do is 70% for you, 30% for us. <laughs> he says it right out. He says, yeah. we want to make you happy, but we need to be a little happy, too. So that's how we, that's how we decide what we're going to do. But 70% for you, 30% for us. That's a pretty good rule. Yeah, I think so. And that's my that's my advice for making a set list. Pretty sound advice. Sorry. But I'm um, that
0: was a bad dad <laughs> drummer <fun>. joke. Drummer <laughs> joke. Drummer <laughs> joke.
1: Hey rockers, ski break is coming up. Let's face it: if you're not going anywhere, you're going to be bored sitting at home come rock out with us instead. We're doing one-week bands for both weeks of the Ski Break. That's the week of February 21st and the week of February 28th with Rory Quinn. And if you are age 8 to 16 and you want to come rock out every day with your band and make videos at the end of what you've done, come and check it out. Information is on our website.
0: And now it's time for our one-minute matchup. And we're going to do a question this time. Is Bob Dylan the greatest rock lyricist of all time. Now, he's won a Nobel Prize for, what was it?
1: Literature. For and, his lyrics. He didn't write something that people liked. It was Yeah, it was, it was
0: for his lyrics. Yeah. Matt's going to go first, and he's going to run his minute, and then I'm going to go, and I'm going to run my minute. And we haven't talked about this beforehand, so I don't know if what he's going to say, he doesn't know what I'm going to say. And Maybe this time we might actually come down on the same side of something.
1: <laughs> well, we kind of did on the Strat versus Les Paul. Yeah, we did. A we bit. did. yeah.
0: Okay, so... Give yourself a minute here, on the I'll, stopwatch. I'll let
1: you hold the stopwatch here. Before we start the stopwatch, though, let's just make sure this is clear to our listeners. We are talking about rock lyrics and lyricists in the rock tree, not Ira Gershwin, Stephen Sondheim, Cole Porter, not jazz, yeah, not yeah. Any of the rest of this. So just uh, you know, let just uh, just understand that out there, as Seth likes to say, it is the rock you podcast. That's
0: true. Not That's the true. music
1: you podcast.
0: <laughs> You're on the clock as of now.
1: Well, let me start by saying I do think that Bob Dylan is probably the most influential lyricist of all time, and I think that's what the Nobel Prize recognizes. He influenced the Beatles quite a bit, and just that alone is enough. But um, is he the best? Well, it's a simple, uh, there's a simple way to answer that. Just if you can find one better, he's not the best. So I made a list of lyricists I think are comparable. Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, Bruce Springsteen, Randy Newman, Elvis Costello, Sufjan Stevens, PJ Harvey, Roger Waters, Paul Simon, Tom Waits, Carol King, Billy Joel, Lou Reed, Tom Petty, Don Henley, Patti Smith, Sting, Ed Sheeran, and oh yeah, John Lennon. <laughs> He's not the best. If you make him go toe-to-toe with each one of those lyricists... He's probably going to lose at least one of those bouts, or at least in a lot of people's judgment. I also happen to think that the best lyricist is probably not even in what we would call straight rock and roll, but in hip-hop or in country music, where there, which are rock-adjacent forms that have some amazing lyricists, and maybe we'll give you a list of those at the end.
0: There's your minute.
1: Nicely done.
0: All right. Good on me. <clears throat> Good on you. Let's see if I can do it in a minute. I'm I'm not 100% certain I'll be able to, but I'm going to try. You,
1: I think you can do it. Ready? All right. I'm ready. Three, two,
0: one. Uh, so I kind of agree with Matt because if there's one better, but I, I kind of looked at it as, is there a better lyricist that wrote in the forms that Bob wrote in? So protest lyrics, edgy life stories, but poetry or just an all around lyricist. Protest lyrics, there's, there are better folks out there. Chuck D of Public Enemy and Marvin Gaye, definitely. Uh, Edgy Life Stories, Bruce Springsteen, like Matt said. Uh, Donald Fagan of Steely Dan. Talk about crazy, edgy life stories. Uh, Poetic, uh, Bono for one, Bad, Vertigo, and Invisible. Peter Gabriel with great songs like uh, In the Sun, Secret World, and Steam. And then all around, I got to go back to my boy, you know we were going to talk Rush, Neil Peart. (laughs) Uh, the story songs of 2112 Xanadu, uh, the allegory of the trees, uh, the human experience with the Fear Trilogy Plus One, uh, and a bunch of other songs. All right, I'm just at over a minute.
1: Nice, 102. Well done, well done.
0: what I really think is Dylan is a great lyricist. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore of rock lyrics. Agreed. And he's been influential to a number of other people uh, just as a lyricist, but also as a songwriter. Uh, and he even influenced Jimi Hendrix singing on his record because he said, man, if Bob Dylan could sing like that, so can
1: I. Yeah. His real contribution, I think, is authenticity. And he replaced a more mannered style of music making where people had to sing in a certain style or write in a certain way or create a certain kind of character. And he sang as himself. And that's what rock and roll became. It's being yourself
0: he did open the road for the rest of people to just be themselves.
1: Yeah. Think about whether,
0: whether it yeah. was musically, lyric writing or singing
1: exactly the singing voice that he had the fact that he was able to be successful telling stories with that voice think about the clash clash without bob dylan the clash couldn't exist there's just no way yeah I'd, i said i'd give a list of some of the rock adjacent lyricists and you can i mean the rock and roll hall of fame defines them as rock so let's define them as rock
0: we'll, we'll give you the footnote here
1: yeah here it is so uh if you're looking for the heir to shakespeare you're gonna find that person in hip-hop not in straight rock and roll probably eminem Nas, Childish Gambino, Wu-Tang Clan, RZA, for example, Jay-Z, Rakim, Mostef, uh, Lauren Hill, and uh, Seth already mentioned uh, Chuck D and Flavor Flav from Public Enemy. What about Tribe Called Quest? Tribe Called Quest. The, but the mastery of language and the imagery and the expressiveness and just the the sheer athleticism of hip-hop alone is is (laughs) mind-blowing and it it beats anything that bob dylan can do but also bob dylan was heavily influenced by country music and there's great lyricists in country dolly parton waylon jennings willie nelson hank williams loretta lynn merle haggard johnny cash and towns van zent who's grossly underappreciated
0: yeah uh, he's also a texan like willie is and uh that's near and dear to my soul i love i love willie and towns van Zant.
1: that's as it ought to be
0: Hey, Matt, tell us about our sponsor for today.
1: We are very happy to be sponsored today by Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop recording shop for all Anglophone music in Paris, any level, any style. You can hear their first release, Posture, by former Rock U student, Person M, out now on all major streaming platforms. extra credit the rock you podcast is a production of rock you expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend seth Pinkley. and our theme music is written and produced by tom walters rock you is a non-profit association loi 1901 and we'll see you next time